Hello and welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this show is all about leadership, coaching, and living a life of high performance. So hello, everyone. Welcome to Give Yourself the Chat. Um, I've got a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends, actually, Mike Hogburn. Mike, good morning. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Pete, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. With, um, so for the benefit of the one listener, my mum, and, and probably one or two more people, because this podcast is now sort of generating some traction, Mike and I, we go back, I think it's about 28 years or so, mate. We, we met at Sandhurst yeah, as young officer cadets. Um, and then we've just been sort of best pals ever since. And so this 35 minutes worth of this podcast can't ever begin to go over all the stories and dits, <laughs> things that have happened <laughs> in our past. But I know there's some things that we want to talk about. But before we get on to that, um, how are you coping with lockdown with the family there out near Taunton? What, and what's going on for you? Well, it's, it's pretty good. We've had no deaths it, um, like affecting us all sort of internal domestically where we've started to really get on each other's um wick but i'm quite lucky so i live in a quite a big house in somerset and we can just walk straight out into the field so pretty aware that it's not as easy for anyone for everyone else and also i think um as you alluded to my previous experience they're almost unique me prepared for lockdown you know being a being a mariner you can imagine you um you kind of get locked down for a living or yeah well so I, I've kind of I immediately switched to this being a patrol. Um, and actually, we're only six weeks in, and I get to see my family, um, and there's beer. So you know, it's pretty good for my my submariner part of my brain. Just looking at this is going, you know, this is this is a dandy. This, this is a dandy. So, so <laughs> there's there's I mean, you you allude to a bit of um, our background there. So we, we met at Sanders back in '92. Uh, we both commissioned into Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, and kind of went down that engineer path so you're a professional engineer but then you took quite a, an extraordinary different career path which is you know we get people transferring in and out of this but you transferred out of the army and into the navy and you know i went to see a pass out in dartmouth and everything else like this and, and then went down a whole submariner route and nuclear engineering and stuff like that but you you, you talk about um how you know this is perhaps one of the easier sort of submariner inverted, inverted commas um, sort of tours, and I know you you wrote something recently on LinkedIn that got a lot of traction, and you were kind of giving people some some advice about just how you do manage in this. So, what kind of were the, the the things that resonated with people the most when you were talking about lockdown in a submariner sense? Well, there's a couple. Well, I mean, I've reflected on it since, but there's one of the things. Well, I mean that particular talk was just about is around visualization i guess so it's about um you know whilst you're in the moment but also making yourself a little mental list of what you might want to do um when you finish uh which i've always i've always kind of done and you give yourself little mental promises um yeah. and it goes back to that give yourself a chat really that I've, I've listened to some of your previous podcasts it's where you imagine what's happening next so if you do something or you don't do something what's that going to mean so you know, in this case, for instance, you know, I want to go for a walk on the coast again. You know, that's what I will do. But then what I find is really important if this is to work for everyone is you've got to you've got to follow up on that. I mean, I remember when I mean we've both done the the, the army commando, the all arms commando course. I remember on a, a horrible digging exercise on that, which was just absolutely dreadful. I mean, people were dropping like flies, it was awful. But um getting through that, I promised myself 
Um, and it was wet and horrible. And we felt we were digging trenches and you were having to kind of dig into the mud and scrape the mud off the shovel. It was just a, it was, it was, it was a show. It really was. And um, I promised myself I'd go for a curry. Okay. I said to her, don't worry, when you finish this, you're going to, you're going to go up to Exmouth and you're going to have a curry. Boom. So when I got back, we were all in absolute bits and no one would come for a curry with me because it was Friday night. Everyone's kit was in, everyone was, everyone was in bits. No one had slept, but I was determined. So I booked a taxi and the taxi guy woke me up um, outside Limston. So I was like slumped in the sink. <laughs> he then, the taxi guy drove me to the curry house. I went into the curry house. Um, I ordered Papa Dom's and a, and a Kingfisher lager. And then the waiter woke me up to take my main order. <laughs> <laughs> and basically the whole night was just like almost time travel. I was woken up between each meal. <laughs> and eventually woken up when I finished to pay my bill. And then... Once again, he woke me up to tell me the taxi driver was in. The taxi driver took me home. <laughs> well, I fell asleep immediately in the taxi, woke me up to say I was back at Limston, and I staggered back to my pit and went to bed. But, you know, I'd made that promise to myself, and because yeah. I'd made that promise, I've, I've, I've come through and I've done it. So I think my, I guess something deep inside you believes you when you make those promises to yourself. If you, if you, if you, if you make the promise and your body knows and your mind knows it's a lie, then why would it believe you? Why would you believe yourself if you don't follow through on it? So hmm. always found that's quite, quite a good thing to do really. But that, that's, Maybe. I mean, it's one thing to promise yourself on an exercise on Dartmoor when you know, okay, it might be Wednesday night and you know, you're going to be in a shower by Friday, but when you're submerged, you know, and you, your family doesn't even know where you are on board a ship for, for security yeah. reasons. How, how do you kind of keep that going when you've got another four months? Yeah. So, um, it, it's quite, I mean, it, and there's some of that surround there, you know, we, we've both come to stoicism by, by different means, I think. Um, and I've found, I've, I've come to stoicism by basically finding a, a mode of thinking, I think that just fits my own, as opposed right. to starting off with the, you know, reading something and following it. I've kind of just, I've kind of fallen into a match, but, um, I was thinking about this recently. And if you think about, uh, um, what's causing people concern a lot of it's around that the stoics call it clarity about really understanding what you can control and what you can't um and one of the interesting things about that for me reflecting on being in a submarine is that people it's not only understanding that it's being it's it's this, people are scared of not having that control mm. and it being really stark and on a submarine of course your circle of control becomes very clear to you when the hatch closes and the submarine dives and that's it. Your circle of control is suddenly, you know, it's 150 meters of, um, of, of British steel, um, underneath the water. And if, you know, and if the family dies, if there's a, you know, whatever happens, that's out of your control. So, mm. you know, I, so there's, there's things really, there's that circle of control, there's that clarity of then understanding where those boundaries are. Um, and even on the submarine, you're bounded then by your role. So if you were, I was a, I was a nuclear engineer at the back. So I did my bit. I made the, the reactor work and made sure, you know, um, we had power and light. Uh, the people at the front were doing other things. They were fighting the submarine or steering the submarine, but I couldn't really worry about what they were doing. I had to worry about my bit. And I think that's, um, so you've got that clarity, but then there's also that acceptance. So once you've understood that, then you've got to put yourself into a point of acceptance to say, you know, this, this is where I am. This is the now. Um, I can, I can, I can be, I can rage with this. I can be upset with this, or I can accept this will go on for as long as it will. And what can I do? And that's where I think that piece of, um, what I can do is I can do my duty. 
I can do the things, you know, whether it's at home now, you know, making sure you stay fit, doing your personal development, looking after your family, spending time. So there's things that you know, and I know that you've mentioned it as well, doing what's right when no one's looking. Mm. I can do my duty because I've got to understand that there's other people um, and I'm, I'm in that, you know, I'm the opposite for them. So someone will be sat there worrying about the nuclear reactor, but, but they, they're trusting me to do my duty. Um, and that brings me on to the other thing. I think it's that sort of kindness thing is that you've got to then in your own head, imagine all these other people that are outside your circle of control are doing their duty. You've got to put that trust in other humans and have that kindness of thought that says, you know what, they're probably, probably trying to do their best. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to worry about that. So it's that trust, you know, do your bit. And so people can trust in you and then trust that others are doing theirs really. I mean, I think if you can get to that point, that really, that, that can really help. And if I think about the current situation, you know, you know, people, I've got friends who are raging about what the government aren't doing, what people are not doing and stuff. And so you, you can't control that unless you're in that position. You can do what you can do. Whether you're, a, whether you're a bin man, you know, whether I'm working in training, I can do my best knowing that other people are hoping that I do that. And then you've just got to trust that all these people out there um, with that sort of idea of kindness that you know, give people the, um, you know, the, the good people. People are trying to do their best. No one's out there generally trying to make this worse for everyone else. So we just, and you just got to, you just got to let that happen and yeah. have that trust in other people. And I think that's what people find really hard. Um, they find it really hard because as soon as that circle of control comes in, um, people don't like it. No one likes to lose control um, because they because it causes worry, I guess. So I think the submarine thing is really kind of helps you put put you into that mind space. Okay, oh, this is one of those situations where I'm expected to do my thing, um, and when things change, then I'll my circle of control will will shrink maybe, or it will raise, and then, then we'll do things different. Yeah, and and I think it's it's interesting. I mean, the, the submariner experience, and and I think I mean, I've talked about this before on my leadership programs, but also on previous episodes, is that we we can use a military example, we can use a sporting example, and and we might think, well, yeah, it's okay. That's a submarine, Mike. You know, it doesn't really apply here, but it's the example is so stark, and the contrast is so you can see it and understand it that actually, it's how do you relate. Okay, so you're going, you're being submerged. Your circle of concern mm. is, you know, is could be huge, but your control is short, is small. But doing the best in that in those given circumstances is all that any of us can do. And it doesn't, you don't have to be on a submarine to know that. But I think it just throws it into stark contrast when you, when you talk like that. It's interesting you talk about the um, um, just um, hoping and, and and others will do their best or just you know, acknowledging people will do their best and, and you doing the best you can. And so we, we talked about sort of stoicism then and you know, the four of the key tenets of stoicism, courage, temperance, wisdom, and virtue. And virtue mm. is to, to your point, you know, do your best, even if nobody's looking, because actually that's all you can do. And if that is all you do, then you are being of service to those people, you know, on, on board or, or in your family or whatever. And, um, we've both come to stoicism very different means and we kind of surprised us. We shouldn't have been surprised really that we both came to it, but we, we came to it through different ways. So how, how did you come to stoicism or perhaps put another way? When did you realize that what you'd been doing all this time was stoicism? Yeah. So uh, that's quite an interesting question. So um, and I, um, I grew up a Catholic, um, where, where that was a kind of imposed on me. And, um, so, but I lost, I lost, I lost my religion in a series of events. So my, um, my mum was a Catholic, um, 
So we went to church and stuff. And so there was a thing where I just believed that, you know, I, I didn't challenge it. I'm a, I'm a scientist, right? I, I think, I think about, I like to think, I think about things in a scientific way. And then I, but yet I was a Catholic and I used to put myself through all sorts of hell, you know, whether it's at sort of boarding school, um, which I did a military boarding school or in the military to sort of d- defend this Catholicism. And, um, I guess a few things happened. One, um, I, um, I, 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 I fell in the eyes of God and sort of, I went there outside of marriage, um, and realized that was good so that was that was that was you enjoyed that. <laughs> that that was a pl- that was a plank that went and then and then unfortunately my mum died and so when my mum died that was really that was really hard because then it became apparent that one of the reasons i'd never challenged the view was that challenging the view was basically going up against your mum your mum yeah because that's what your mum believed so it was it worth you know it's one of those things you know what i always think with arguments what's the issue how important is that to you and if it's if it's not an issue let it go because you can move on and then, and then who's the issue with? So it was quite an important issue with me, but it was with my mum and I, you know, I thought, well, actually the relationship with my mum is much more important. So just let it go. And then of course, when my mum died, that was no longer, I thought this is quite an issue for me. And then there's no mum anymore. So I, I need to, I need to look at it. And actually I was in, I'll tell you a quick other story. I was in, um, my, so my moment of clarity where I lost my faith, I think finally was in Afghanistan. And I was working in, in psychological operations in Afghanistan, which is kind of, basically military propaganda they don't like to call it that because it sounds a bit scary but um so i was running radio stations and running information campaigns and all sort of stuff in helmand province and i had to go out and meet the local mullahs who were doing a piece for them because the idea was that we get them to say things and get them on side and um, mm. that that would be good so but I, I i so i dressed up in all my military kit and we went in a convoy and we met these mullahs and i and i walked in and the mullahs were in their full full dress Muller dress, which is kind of, I guess, that's not a correct term, but they were in a full ceremonial garb as if yeah. they were going to, um, you know, teach in the... Um... Anyway, so I walked in, I looked at them and I, I chatted this guy and he was, he looked ridiculous really in this setting. I was in a... And he was, you know, had this sort of gold ornate clothes on and he was saying to me, look, the problem here is that people aren't listening to people like me. They're not listening enough. And I was just looking at him thinking... You know, you, you you know, you're absolutely crazy. I just it just struck me you're absolutely crazy. And in my head, I then matched him to a bishop, and he looked very similar to a bishop. Um, and then I sort of had this this stark thing. He's absolutely mad. This guy. He's just. Um, and then I, as I went back to the base, I met the priest that we had a priest on the base, and he was wearing his robe because it was um it was Sunday. And I thought you're just as crazy. And the only reason I've never really noticed this craziness before is because it was part of my upbringing and stuff. And it, it just really struck me that, you know, if I'd been brought up in Afghanistan, I would be, mm. I'd happily follow that mullah. And, it, and, it's, and that, that was the moment when I thought, actually, you know, this is, this is really cultural and not. So and I started looking for something else, um, which, which wasn't reliant on sort of a big guy in the sky because my, um, my science let me go there. So I kind of came to, so that's a lot, sorry, that was a bit of a long story, wasn't it? So, um, but I kind of came to, um, uh, stoicism, I think via Buddhism mm. because I was in that religious and I quite, you know, I got stuff from church. I did, you know, the spiritual side and, yeah, yeah. and I started looking at Buddhism because Buddhism seemed to be much more about the individual than about the Buddha. The Buddha was kind of a teacher and people have tried to make him a, you know, a sort of a godlike figure, but I, I became a kind of, a, kind of a quasi Buddhist and then a kind of a sect. Buddhist and then I started reading around that subject and I came across you know this sort of western thought 
of the Stoics, which is actually very similar to a lot of the tenets of um, Buddhism in terms of looking after yourself. And I and I and I, and I guess I just you know, through reading, really, just read myself and listening to podcasts and, and development that came from, and then I really stumbled upon this stoicism, and I thought, yeah, that's that's actually how I think. That's quite similar to me. I, you know, Marcus and Seneca and all that, and I read their studies, and I thought, no, they've really got this. And it really shocked me that, you know, you know, we've kind of got, we've had we've had this like thousands and thousands of years ago. Where's it gone? Because <laughs> yeah. it's so obvious, you know, it's just so obvious that, you know, things like kindness and virtue and all these things. Um, and Stoics get a bad name as being sort of, you know, dour sort of, you know, everything's going to end, you know, almost uh, chicken little type characters. But I, I think that's wrong because I think the whole, you know, remember you are mortal. You can put a different spin on that because... Mm. You know, if we really told everyone, if we told everyone that there was a a meteor about to hit the planet, you know, tomorrow morning at 2 a.m., the meteor is hitting the planet, then I tell you what, people wouldn't be sat there being, there'd be a lot of partying going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people would go for it. People would then say, yeah. well, I'm not going to bother with the bins today. You know what? Let's go and have some champagne on that island at the sunset and stuff. You know, it just, it's balance, isn't it? Uh, that that mortality, but then live a full life, knowing that that's coming. You know, it gives you it should give you an edge to, for joy. I think. No, I, I totally agree with that. And it was interesting. We, we talk about our roots to, to stoicism. I, you know, if I kind of think about my way, I, I I have I'm a big believer that you know you've got to try before you buy. So I I didn't grow up in a in a religious sense, but when I left the army twelve years ago. That I had a sense of there was something missing, and I, you know, the, the team had now gone. I was now working for myself. I felt quite isolated. So I went to church and I explored church and I explored uh, the Alpha course, which is an introduction to Christianity mm-hmm. and everything else like this. And I, and I wore it fully, you know, and, and I kind of embraced it, but it didn't really quite do anything for me. So I thought, okay, let's just try a different school of thought. Let's go hard over. Let's go to sort of militant atheism and, um, and Richard Dawkins <laughs> and Christopher Hitchens and all that kind of stuff. And I got into that and the engineer and the scientist in me kind of resonated with that. But I thought, well, no, that, that seems a little bit too hard over because like you, I, I do like some of the more esoteric trappings. I do like the fact that actually it's not necessarily a belief in, in a deity, but there is something beyond self. And, 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 and it was really about everything that really resonated was actually if it was in my control or if it made me happy. So I got drawn to humanism and, and more sort of secular beliefs and, the more I did that, the more I realized actually happiness and fulfillment is within my control. And, and I think that's when I started to think about or come across stoicism, because I think when you go looking, you start to emerge. So I think I've probably found the Daily Stoic and Ryan Holiday's mm. books and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, well, actually, yeah, do you know what? All these things that I enjoy about all these different attitudes and dogmas and, and paradigms I've looked at come down to actually I can have that all now. And stoicism is the practical element i think it was the practical element of it which really kind of resonated with me um and and then it just starts to i mean it's fascinating that marcus aurelius you know most powerful man in in the world back in the roman empire was journaling every day and had the same insecurities that you and i have and about his relationships with his kids and and all that and thought about death and when when I kind of sort of looked into that whole sort of memento mori thing, remember that you will die and therefore make the most of today. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, duh. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. 
it's extraordinary. So we kind of we kind of came to it and then just realised, well, this is pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and that's really the momentum. Aurea, I think, is really interesting because it, you know, one of the quotes I remember reading is, you know, um, always leave always leaves a house like a soldier going to war, in that you might not come home. And it's interesting, isn't it? So I used to go, you know, we both did in the military, and when you go on a submarine, before you go on that deployment, you then, you know, leaving the house is a big thing. You know, there's people crying, there's kids wailing, and you know, you know, and then you, and then the submarine breaks you back the next day, and then you have to go through it the day after. But you you do a lot to make sure that everything's set um, because you're away on a submarine. If something happens, um, but then when you come back and you, you even reflect, you know, I, you know, I've got probably more of a chance just dying in a car accident when I pop into the shops to get bread. Mm. So really you need to almost get yourself in that position on the go. So never leave, you know, I mean, my, my grandma, you know, my grandma and Nana, as we used to call it, and they, or I always asked, they, they had a 60 year wedding anniversary, She'd never fall asleep on an argument no. because you never know if the guy next to you might wake up. <laughs> That's it. But it's almost about that. You know what you, you would do a lot if you knew you were going away on a, submarine or on a lot of world travel but but actually you know you, you go out in your car and it you spoof it which is probably the, the way a lot of us will go um it's the same it's the same position so why haven't you always always leave the house like a soldier going to war and then i think you you can have very few regrets because it actually makes you do a few things as well change it change a few bits but and and, that, and that's a, the thing. I mean, you talked about how stoicism and the stoic can get uh, a bit of a bad rap because we we say, oh, they've got a very stoic approach. They put up with hardship and they're very dour. It's mm. not that at all. In fact, I think stoicism is the ultimate expression of of a happy life now in, in in that taking control, but also the fact that actually we may not have another moment like this to therefore make the most of this. And I think too many of us, myself included, we live we we think like we're going to live forever. And we'll yeah. get round to that and, and we'll do that because we've got all the time. But we don't. You know, every moment that passes is a moment that belongs to death. Now, that's not yeah. morbid. That's just accepting that the clock is ticking. So what are you doing right now? And, and yeah. why wait? And, 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 and flippantly as well, for those out there that like the gadgets like I do and you do, um, it's also very a good, good argument to use with people like um, partners and wives and stuff for... You know, when I when I look at buying another bike, and you know, I get the, I get the feedback. You know, perhaps we should wait. I'm like, well, death is around the corner, my love. You know, we could well, wait, and that'd be a great thing. But we we might want to live in the now and get get the stuff in because God, I mean, I, I would I would hate to sort of save save this up when I could get an interest free credit and be enjoying it now. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to challenge us on that because that's bordering on hedonism, 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 school of thought, but. Yeah. Because, of of those four kind of pillars of of um, stoicism, this idea of temperance or moderation is it's a hard one. Is that you, you? Okay, yeah, you can go and live fully for now, and and absolutely. But is that is that the right thing to do? Um, is that in, in any given moment? And and you know, so the Stoics aren't about poo pooing a party. No, but no. There, there, there is that kind of balance, that idea of temperance, temperance and moderation. Um, it's fair to say, Pete. You know me. A temperance is the, probably the hardest aspect of stoicism I've struggled. With. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to honour the struggle. You yeah. know, the obstacle yeah, yeah, is the way, mate. And that's you know. People, people rarely say, oh, "There goes Mike." Isn't he being temperate again? <laughs> oh, do you know what? Have, I mean, having known you for twenty-eight years or so, I think you're you're far more um, temperate now uh, in some of the things that you're looking at than, and I, and I think that perhaps comes with with. But but equally, what what I've 
I really value and treasure and love about you, Mike, is is your kind of outlook on life and 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 the fun element. And we've had a lot of fun in the past. I mean, you just reminded me before we came on air here about our, our exploits in California skydiving. And do you remember yeah. the pair of us just grabbing hold of each other and yahooing it? I mean, yeah, brilliant. That was that was absolutely awesome. absolutely. Going to Utah, man. Well, well, there's that thing. So Johnny Utah is a reference to, to Point Break, our all-time favourite film, and Lord Patrick of Sways there. I just wonder if um, if, if Bodhi was a Stoic. I mean, he was well, bordering on Zen, wasn't he? But uh, he, well, I think he would have been. And um, I, actually, Patrick Swayze is a really interesting character that, because he he turned out to be a very sort of Stoic individual with his with his um, with his illness he had. Yes, um, and just made me want to love him more. You know, his the way he bore that sort of. He had pancreatic cancer, I think, and he yeah. bore it really well. But some of the stuff he, some of the videos he'd made, um, and but he, he, he really, he kept living in the now all the way up to the end, which I think, sir. Um, and I just want to, I was just thinking then, actually, just popped into my head. But when we were talking about that spiritual side, so my, so my nan, who was, she was, she was from South Shields up in the northeast, and um, she lived in Kent. And she, when she was in, a, when I was growing up, we used to have to go to church. She never did. And I say, nan, how come you? Didn't? you go to church you get this god thing and she says oh, i go to church every i spend a lot of time in church and i said oh really she goes yeah so, and she used to say to me and i was mad i must have been about six <coughs> seven she says every time i sit in my garden she said this is my church so amongst nature she says you just look around she says that's what that's that's where god is if he's anywhere he's in my garden amongst my roses and i always used to think that was such a nice little thought because she always wanted to be her ashes scattered but but she, but the way she just said it. Now I go to church all the time. It's just a, I just have a different one. But she knows. So it's about that finding that spirituality, but just finding it in the right place for you. Yes. Um, and I, and I think it's it's almost like finding it so it doesn't it doesn't you don't have to impose it on anyone else. Mm. Um, you know, because I might like roses, you might like tulips, but let's not have a let's not have a, a religious war about it. I'll come invade your house and forcibly plant roses. <laughs> yeah, and and, and it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I, I probably find the, the closest to being spiritual, whatever that means for me, is when I'm when I'm out sort of running or racing at my Ironman and whatever, and it's complete, there's nothing else on the planet apart from in the moment there, which again, you know, that yeah. in the moment piece is, is a core tenant of it. There's um. It's something I want to explore with you as well, and this idea of um, one of the pillars of stoicism, this thing about courage, and we talk about moral courage, and you and I going through the military mm. system, and there's one thing they really hammered home to us. Um, so as a kind of light-touch story, but then something which has quite some meaning for me. The first is, 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 is a gift I gave to you, which was um, I lay claim to the fact that I was the person that taught you how to iron. You did, you did do back that. Back in the day there. But the gift you gave to me, what I think has been far more powerful, and I'm, I'm not sure, I think I've talked about this with you, but perhaps I haven't reminded you recently. But you, so, so for the benefit of the listener, Sanders has a year's worth of training. In the first five weeks, it's pretty hard routine, isn't it, Mike? There's, you know, yeah, yeah. you've got your whole uh, room inspections, your bedding has to be put in a certain way, everything has to be buffed within an inch of its life. And it's a, it's a routine that breaks 30 young men down as individuals and starts to rebuild them into teams. Lots of angry people shouting at you. Lots of angry people shouting at you, lots of late nights. Um, I remember not even sleeping on my bed because it had been, I didn't want to ruin the look of it, so we slept on the floor and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And then you fast forward towards the end of the time and you have the final exercise in your third term. And our colour sergeant, John Wood, who is, has been a major influence on both you and I, decided that we all needed to be taught a lesson. 
and um, we were all getting a little bit too lax. So just to remind us of who's in charge, he put us back on that first five weeks. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. remember that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, to coin a, a commando phrase, we were threaders. We were just really unhappy with it. But I never forget, Mike, and I, I'm sure you remember this, that we, everyone was grumbling. Everyone was absolutely yeah. grumbling. But there was one person that went and knocked on the color sergeant's door and said, could I have a word, please, color sergeant? And then all of us, the 29 other people, so this is you, Mike, isn't it? <laughs> the 29 other people took a sharp in, inhalation of breath thinking, oh, my God, what's happening? And 15 minutes later, color sergeant Wood, and to his credit, said, Mr. Hogman has just had a word with me and I have reassessed the situation and you're not on the hard routine anymore. And we were like, Mike, what the hell did you say to him? And you said, <laughs> I think you started the conversation, something like that, Color Sergeant, I would expect better from a man <laughs> like you or something yeah, yeah. like that. Now, the reason I'm saying this, Mike, is one to remind you, but I have used that example in all my leadership programs ever since to say, if you ever want an example of what moral courage is, it's that. And I don't know if you, if you knew that about it, but do you remember that story? Yeah, you must yeah. Have... yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Just Well, I remember it was a little... Um, I was just so angry um, with the, well, I was angry. I was frustrated because I knew we were in one of those positions and I think people find it all the time where, but we'd all, we'd got into a, we'd got into a, a domestic tiff with the color sergeant, essentially. <laughs> yeah. It was a spat, wasn't it? So he was in a bad way and we were in a bad way. And then we've suddenly fallen out and you think, actually, we've had a relationship that we built over a year. Mm. Loads of stuff gone on and, you know, everyone respected him. And then it was all seemed to be going down the pan in the last let's not end it like six this. or seven days yeah it was like in the in the last six or seven days wreck it yeah. and spoil everything and i just sort of um and that and it was just that frustration and that and that sort of sadness really that you know yeah. it's going to end like this you know and it's that kind of i'm gonna we're gonna have to go and say something you know this is you know it, it was literally I, I mean i can't remember the details of the conversation but it was almost you know literally you know this isn't how it ends this shouldn't be how it ends because you know you, you you know this should be this is the fun time we've done it you've made your point a, a thousand times you know you know and our relationship's beyond that now you know i think we can we we, we can do more so i think it was that sort of and i and i really tried to sort of listen you know in my head i was trying to think what he was thinking I and mean, he was obviously hurt so i was trying to you know reflect back to him what he was feeling and I know you're hurt by what we did, but it wasn't intentional. You know, and, and now this is just damaging the relationship that we all want. So, so I think it was that um, sort of trying to give him empathy yeah. that he will, you know, and um, as well as money. I mean, I, I, I mean, I had to give him a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a part of the story. You did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, paying that off for years, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, but, so em empathy and cash is the way. Um, no, but I think it, is that where you learn from your, your psyops training? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it was that empathy thing to sort of say to him. But 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 the reason I think the moral courage thing is interesting because it wasn't was it more? I think I guess it was moral courage um, in that he'd gone mental. But it was. But I was kind of. I was almost pretending because I was kind of acting. I felt like I was acting on behalf of the people, and yeah. it's 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 always easier um, courage, I think, when you you act on someone else's behalf. So it's almost yeah. often when you look at courage, you, if you if you can then you know think beyond yourself. So I mean, you see it a hundred times. You know, um, parents throwing themselves in front of their children. And as soon as you're, you know, would I would I fight that horrible Rottweiler? No, I'm 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 scared of big big bad dogs but if that dog was threatening someone i loved you then said. yes 
Yeah. So certainly the courage, the, the courage things really. So when you when you when you can reframe what you're doing to be acting on the behalf of someone else, hmm. and ideally you are doing that, then I think you you get a lot of courage from the fact that you're you're doing it for not just yourself but other people. That you know this is this is why this is happening, and then I think it becomes um, almost not a moral courage issue, just uh, you know you know, why wouldn't you do this issue? <laughs> yeah. But you I, thought I think, that you had any power. I think what was interesting about that as well, because like you say, this we'd forged such a relationship with the man and for it to end like that. But then his reaction to that and coming out and having the humility and the vulnerability yeah. to actually just increased his status double then. So the last few yeah. weeks of our time with him were just amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. It was really yeah. good. Um and I think that's one of those, uh, you know, I mean, people talk about it in coaching. I know you do a lot of coaching. It's that, it's that trying to listen to what's happening because mm. the sound, the sounds that were coming out, the, the the signals were, you know, he's angry, he's fucked up, and then you just thought, "There's got they're actually, are we listening to what's happening?" You know, he's hurt. <laughs> yeah, we've we've upset him in some way because he's not this person and trying to give him an out as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and if if I had to be the sacrificial lamb, luckily I wasn't. Um, then that's fine if he's now. Um, and I think a lot of um, you know conflict happens like that. Doesn't it? Everyone's stuck at this point where everyone would like an out, but no one's really prepared to make that first. So, yeah, and 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 I, and I think there's it's back to circle of control piece as well. It's like okay, we're thinking, well, what 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 can we do? Um, because the the color sergeant, there may have been a tendency for him just to have kind of just ridden that one out and proved his point, but then actually. So therefore, nothing would have changed. So I, I think that's a really nice example. Yeah. And as I say, I've, I've carried that with me uh, an awful lot. And uh, so, uh, yeah. and I hope that you've carried the fact that I taught you how to iron all this time. It's uh, just having a look at your shirt. I have, yes, yes, I do. I still <laughs> iron regularly, but we're not, not today. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, we're not, sure to, not sure it's advisable. To... We're coming to the end um, of this, but we, we'll have you back on a future date because there's so many other kind of stories of, of nearly 30 years together we can explore. Let's um, let's think about um, leaving the listener with with a few things that perhaps they might consider for you know those times when you have to give yourself the chat. What What's your version of that on a moment-by-moment basis, e- either with your time now in corporate life or or kind of back in the day? I think um, when uh, – so, I, I, yeah, I thought about this. Obviously, it's the title of the, uh, the podcast. And I think um, uh, my, my version of the chat involves a, a visualization, really. And, I, and, I, and if I look back, I do it quite a lot. So um, – and – it's a, it's around it's around you know where where you where you'll be after this decision point <laughs> looking back so whether you're going you know for a run and in your head you thought I'm going to do 10k and you get to 6k and you think nah and you just but you just my mind naturally now pops forward to getting back to the house and the two people that have stood there you know one has done 10 the one has done 6 and think, yeah I don't I I I, I I don't want to be that guy. And um, um, it was interesting, actually, uh, just just on that, give yourself a chat or, you know, help give other people chat. I'd, I've got two teenage boys. One of them's uh, Ethan. He's um, a lot bigger than me. I don't know how that's happened. Um, he's not stronger than me, obviously, but he's bigger, um, I would say. <laughs> but uh, well, we, were watching, we were watching one of these TNT Hard Enough stuff on TV, and I think it was about who's the hardest special forces. And they were, they were, they, they had all the, 
the people in the water doing water press-ups and water rolls and sand, and there were people moaning and everyone was groaning. And Ethan was sat there, and he was going about 14, 13, I think. And um, he's going, that's just rubbish. Why are they making such a fuss? Oh, anyone could do that. Oh, this is ridiculous. And I was like, mate, that's actually, you've not done anything like that. So it's quite a lot. Oh, I don't think it is. But anyway, um, I said, right, we live in Taunton. So I said, tomorrow, I'm taking you to the beach, and we're going to do that. Anyway, so I went and woke him up at eight and um, I said, well, come on. And he was really, as teenagers can be, anti. Oh, this is rubbish. Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I don't. Anyway, so um, he was still smaller than me then. So we loaded in the car, went to Minehead in our full kit, ran down just like uh, uh, some tra- tracksuit bottoms and stuff, ran down to the beach. There's people kind of walking. It was um, March, I think. Um, and, and we did 40 minutes of sit-ups in the sea, leopard crawling, which is kind of crawling, dragging your legs, press-ups, rolls. We were, we were sprints in the water. I was freezing. Anyway, we finished off the 40 minutes and we both agreed that was, um, that was hard. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. <laughs> and then we walked back up the beach and everyone's looking at us, these two idiots. And then, we, and then I took him from McDonald's and um, as we were driving back, he was, he, was, he was so chirpy, he was so happy, and he's eating his McDonald's. I, I didn't warm up for about three days, my hands. I was in bits. <laughs> he recovered in about 20 minutes. But interestingly, in that, so they give yourself a chat point. I said to him, I said, Ethan, what would you now say? What would you now, this person now sat in the car, having just done that 40 minutes, um, say to that kid that greeted me at your bedroom door this morning? And he just looked at me and he said, I, I would, he said, I would. I'd just punch him in the face. So I'd punch that kid in the face. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, I would, what, 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 what a sniveller. And I said, yeah, but you could have been that kid. Yeah. I could have left you and that would have been you. And you now, having given yourself, well, I helped because he's a growing lad. But after that chat, you find that, that chat's that point where you could be at the point where one of you would want to punch the other one in the face just because you've, because you've, you've made that decision. So, you know, it was really interesting. He just, you know, I would just punch him in the face and say, you know, you just got to get a grip of yourself. Yeah. But, that, you know, and he was just, you know, it's that reflecting back. I think for me, that chat is always around that, you know, really having a look. And you can do it quite quickly. You just play it forward, you know, sitting down to do, oh, I'm going to do this video or whatever, sitting down, put yourself in lunchtime. One of you's done it, one of you hasn't, you know, how, how conversation goes, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think that's how I've always used that kind of giving yourself the chat thing. I just put myself into the future and say, okay, which, which one of these is the, which is, which one of these would I be proud to meet now? Yeah. Um, or yeah. one of the shows. I mean, so, I mean, that, that, that makes, makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, that links back to your um, early example on, on the submarine with, or sorry, on um, the commando exercise about actually there's a future there and, and how much better will that future be than this pain right now? Um, yeah, how yeah. much better will I feel having gone for the run or, or stuck and, and delivered that, done worked on that project now as opposed to the pain? And, and if you can connect to the, the future pleasure or just how much more painful it's going to be if you didn't, then that's the yeah. motivator. I know it's different for everyone. It's interesting. You've now you've now introduced the concept of not only give yourself the chat, but also give someone else the chat as well. So I, yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> oh, that's good. Mike, we've come to the end of our time now, mate. Um, as I said, we'll 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 get you on a future episode to explore some of the other stories. Um, um, but thank you so much, mate, and and thank you for your friendship over all these years. It's um, it's just no, been an absolute pleasure and delight. And uh, I know this was your first podcast episode, so thank you very much for making uh, Give Yourself the Chat your yeah, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, gone. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, mate, take care of yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.
Cheers, Abby. Bye-bye, folks. So this has to be one of my favourite episodes so far. Um, I guess there's always a risk if you invite one of your best friends onto your podcast as to, you know, will the listener get as much enjoyment about the stories, particularly going back some 20 plus years that we share? W- will it become relevant and will it be enjoyable for you, the listener? And, and, and I'm left convinced that actually there's so much gold in that discussion we've just had, so much value, um, be it about stoicism, life philosophy, or some of the lighter-hearted moments that we shared. And I, I'm indebted to Mike for the friendship and the love that we've shared as, as best mates over the years and will continue to do. And, and I dare say we'll have him back on for a future podcast episode. Uh, but for the meantime, uh, conversation as ever is going on over at LinkedIn. Please join the conversation, suggest future guests to me or any subjects you'd like me to explore. But in the meantime, keep yourself healthy, stay fit and well, and I'll see you on the next one.